Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Last night, or last week rather, we talked about an apostolic theology for the family and for the home. And so tonight, our lesson is about apostolic faith in the home. How many agree that who we are here probably should be who we are at home? (laughs) Isn't that a valiant idea? Now listen, maybe you normally come to service and you're, you're suited up. That's not an obligation, but maybe you wear a sports coat. I don't expect you to get up and wear that around the house all the time. But your attitude, temperament, how many know we got to guard these things to keep them in check? We got to try to make sure that the same mouth that speaks in tongues speaks kind to our family. Well... So we're going to talk about it. Tonight, we're really going to take the first part of this chapter, which is a professional perspective. Um, Knowing me, I'll probably tie a couple stories in, and and we'll try to do some practical stuff with it as well. But this is a very professional perspective. The second part of this chapter, which if you purchase the book, you can get a very practical, very practical example and, and layout of a practical perspective of apostolic faith in the home. Beginning here with this first major point, cultivating apostolic faith. Everything great is intentional. It's intentionally cultivated. If you're going to have the Holy Ghost on display in your home, it's going to happen intentionally. It is. You're going to have to guard intentionally. In the early 19th century, Samuel Coleridge encountered a man who argued that children should not be given any religious training, but should be allowed to choose whether or not to embrace faith in God. Coleridge is reported to have invited the man for a stroll through his cart, through his garden, where it soon became evident that neglect was the order of the day. Soon Coleridge's guest He asked whether the plot of land should be labeled a garden, weeds appearing to be its only prominent feature. Coleridge answered by explaining his commitment not to infringe upon the liberty of the garden in any way, but to allow it to express itself freely. To which I say, sadly in... Many in contemporary society enthusiastically cultivate the academic, athletic, recreational, and professional aspects of their children's lives while not tending to their spiritual and moral development. I have met parents that will chew their kids out if they are late for a practice. 
but they never seem to be able to get them to church on time. Now, don't worry, that was before Calvary. That was, that was pre-Calvary. Brother Kilman, there's no one here in the history of Calvary that's ever been guilty, I'm sure. <laughs> we, uh, we teach them, folks. We teach them. We teach them. When we get more excited that they scored in a game than we do when they get used in youth service, we teach them. We teach them. Mm. Not tending to that spiritual and moral development, allowing the weeds to inhabit a living faith. Just as tragic, some apostolic parents embrace the responsibilities, listen here, of clothing, feeding, sheltering, and encouraging those recreational pursuits while they defer entirely to the school system to educate their children and to the pastor, children's minister director, and student ministry director to discipline their children. It's not possible. Okay? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, so just say amen. If you say amen real heartily, I'll just know I don't have to spend any time on this. Okay? All right? Amen. 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 It's not the Sunday school department's job to make sure your kids are sane. <laughs> I don't know why they don't want to live for God. <laughs> well, I'm going to be careful, but I'm going to say this. If every battle they endure, you fight for them. The millennial generation has introduced something new to post-modernity, and that has been what's known as helicopter parents. It's affected our colleges tragically, not just Bible colleges or Christian colleges, but colleges alike. The average, the average freshman that enrolls, there is a 67% attrition rate. They never return. Why? Because for the first time in their life, every time they have an issue, mom and dad aren't there to swoop in and take over. How many in here, you were raised in a day where you had to learn to fight for yourself a little bit? You remember having to fight for yourself. But if we're not careful, subconsciously, we have allowed this bent of society to make us think, well, I'm going to fight for It has become normal to fight for them. And if we're not careful, we fight in areas where they really need to learn how to grow on their own. And there is a generation out there that is so intentionally spoon-feeding not infants, not toddlers, but growing adults. And the problem is, want to know why so many walked away at that young adult? They did not know how to fight for themselves. They didn't fight physically. They didn't fight relationally. And so when it came time, they didn't know how to fight spiritually. It's true. So, yes, I'm not saying don't defend them. It's your kid. Defend them. But if they were wrong... I'm going to shock everybody. They can be your kid and be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they can. I've got four kids. Every, wrong, every one of them has been 
and will be again wrong. Many times. Now, I don't expect just the average person to chastise my child. How do you feel if a random person chastises them? Don't, oh, it rises something up and you don't it. That's not what we're saying. But if my kid is running through the sanctuary and an elder says, hey, buddy, don't run in here. If the first thing I want to do is fight for them when they shouldn't have been running, what I am doing, I'm not helping my child. I am subconsciously teaching them authority doesn't matter. Elders, we wonder why, how far should I go? We wonder why growing teenagers don't have the same level of respect. Even, even in my life, I can remember when I was a kid, I think my parents would let somebody else whip me. I grew up in a southern, in a southern little church. I can remember Brother Brown. I watched, this would, they'd go to jail today. I can remember watching the woman take her son out front of the church. She took a branch off the tree and whipped him. And we watched on the window. And anybody that wasn't watching, we told them, come here. Teaching them how to respect authority, not helicoptering in and taking over every little problem. Gen Zers is the same, and the generation coming after, we have to guard. The Bible teaches that parents should accept responsibility for training their children. We have to take that responsibility. How many know that when we here at church and we've got dedication Sunday, thank God this Sunday coming up, we've got some babies that are going to be dedicated to the Lord on Sunday morning. We're looking forward to it. We're in our family series. It's a perfect time. But how many recognize that when we carry our children forward and we dedicate them unto the Lord, how many will agree with me? That is not a fix-all. That is not you putting them in the pastor's hands or you giving them to God and saying, I did the hard part. <laughs> we got to train them up. Train them up. The home was never designed to be neutral territory. Oh, I like this. I really like it since most of them were in classes anyway. You can amen, especially if you got teenagers. We got probably 50, 60, 70, I don't know how many down there, and they need to hear this either way. But the younger kids that maybe are listening here and there to what I'm talking about that are in here too. Home is not a neutral zone. There are certain things they don't get to vote on. Okay, if you want to let them vote between Dairy Queen and Culver's, that's fine. That's one thing. But there are certain things that it's not like optional. It's, it's not a democracy where they get a vote on whether or not we go to church on Sunday. You know, I've had parents tell me that. Well, they were kind of tired. Honest, I've lost track. They were tired. Or this one. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, some of you. I'm going to look down so no one thinks I'm making eye contact. They had homework. I'd like to see you keep them home from ball practice because of homework. Yeah. There you go. It's, 
It is not a demilitarized zone that exists between the world and the church. The family was instituted millennia before the temple and the church. We, the family's got to be right. The family has got to be guarded. And the home, as we're preaching about on Sunday morning, has got to be guarded. you got to know what you believe and believe what you know and teach it to your children. Come on, we got to get back to the Shema, Adonai Israel. We've got to get back to Hero Israel. The Lord, our God, is one Lord, and it transfers into everything we do. What's the Bible say? Like frontlets? Yeah. When thou risest up, when thou liest down, when thou walkest by the way. He said all the time. But it will be hard for them to do what they cannot imitate from your example. I'm talking, I'm preaching to me, you just listen. God inaugurated the first couple when he created Eve and established the first family with that birth of Cain. It is soon evident that Genesis, the book of beginnings, sets the table for both time and eternity. Genesis begins by providing foundational information that reveals God's strategy for human expansion and the establishment of society upon the earth. It is the institution of marriage and it is the institution of the family and it is not to be messed with. Regardless of what political Don't play politics, okay? Don't play politics, be Pentecostal, okay? We believe in what marriage is and what the home is supposed to be. Simultaneously, the text, it hints that there is something more significant to come. The family playing that critical role in raising up future generations to walk with God in intimate fellowship. That is the will of God. When he came looking for Adam, he came looking for Adam and Eve. He was looking for relationship covenant. He was looking for intimate fellowship. In fact, the initial hint of the gospel, Genesis 3.15, is tied to a descendant of the first family referred to as the seed of woman. Scripture intentionally provides detailed genealogies to reveal the fulfillment, we talked about it a little bit on Sunday, of God's redemptive plan, demonstrating His salvific activity through successive generations. Similarly, we need to catch this. From Genesis to now, similarly, the apostolic home is to be the training ground for life, and eternity. Brother Brzezinski, when the new baby comes into the home and we're so excited about everything but changing diapers. And when it's the first one, you're even excited about that. At first. Till they start eating other food. <laughs> How many know that new, that new car smell will wear off? <laughs> <laughs> But it's not just for life. Brother Brzezinski, you're not, you're not just trying to keep them alive for life and guard them. 
Any, any parents in here remember, maybe you've done this, we haven't talked about this, but anybody when they were first born, you wanted to be close enough to the bassinet so you could tell whether or not they were breathing? Come on, raise your hand real proud because you're nervous. That was me. My wife could be asleep. Probably because she knew I was so nervous I'd be listening. But if I even heard, you know how every now and then the newborns, like the breathing, it can be sporadic a little bit or it won't be. And I can, I can remember any time, just my wife walked in the room, I don't know how many times with the birth, uh, our first son, Canaan. And I'd, I'd have my ear down by his mouth. I'm just, she'd walk in, babe, he's fine. I know, I was, I was just, let's give him a kiss or something. Just gonna... <laughs> God forgive me because I lied during that process. I, I was listening for breathing. I was listening. But we're not just guarding them for life. We're not just keeping them alive. This is the important. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. I understand that, okay? I, I recognize that. But, but we need to remember, yes, we're trying to keep them alive, but we're trying to keep them alive forever. We don't want them to taste of a second death. We're training them in the home that there is meant to be life and life more abundantly. We're trying to set the safeguards in our home. Apostolic parents should model and provide instruction with regard to interpersonal skills, work ethic, financial management. If you want them to be wise with their money, we got to learn how to be wise with our money. How many have learned the older you get, the, the less impulse buying happens? And if you ever went through a season where you didn't have anything, you get to a season in life where you do have enough money and you still can't pull the trigger. Because you remember what it was like to have to save and scrounge. And remember the hard revelation when you found out that toilet paper costs money? Light bulbs, they don't just show up. No. But you're teaching, you're teaching, you're teaching interpersonal. You're teaching all these little dynamics. They're watching your work ethic, the, the financial management you're watching. Listen, it doesn't take them to get very old to figure out how and where we spend our time and money. They're watching us. They're watching us. More important, apostolic parents should exemplify gender roles, moral righteousness, spiritual formation. Here's a big one. About to be at our ministry fair in two weeks, which I'm so excited about. Ministry engagement and true worship. It is essential to recognize that future renewal will be brought about by the descendants presently being trained in apostolic homes. If God tarries, if God tarries, you're training the decade ahead of us how the apostolic church will look. Ah, they don't believe in holiness like our generation did. Why? Why? I'm talking, I'm talking to our church. Can I talk? Can I just talk? One of the most frustrating things I've dealt with over the last several years is showing up to places where people in their 50s and 60s decided that they all of a sudden wanted to live different than they had for generations, for decades. 
Now all of a sudden that's not wrong. You know what kind of shockwave of confusion that sends? To some impressionable young married... Now here again, I know it's never happened here. Sure it has, because people are people. We've got to be consistent because of the standard that we're setting and what we are establishing. And it's important for us to know, we've been talking about our generational revival, multi-generational revival. It's important for us to remember and keep not only in our hearts, but also in our minds, that even into their 20s and 30s, they're watching. Elders, I'm watching you. Not because I'm pastor, I'm watching you because you're setting the example that at the end, 30 years from now, it's worth it. What's worth It's worth it to live for God. It's worth it to live righteous. These lifestyle disciplines, they are worth it. It's setting that example. The apostolic home does not cease to find value because your kids age out of it. Wow. Man, I feel like that's from the Holy Ghost, and somebody needs to hear that right there. The value of your home and the value of the example of your home did not cease in importance because your kids are now off to college or your kids are now married. It matters. It matters from the bassinet till they've got kids in bassinets of their own. It matters. Let's talk about divine design. All successful creative endeavors fulfill a general mission that developed into a specific vision. The Bible reveals that God is intentional and continually reminds humanity that there is an overarching strategy that supersedes our limited perspective and daily experience. It, it, supersedes our limited perspective and daily experience. Joseph testified that what others designed for evil, God used for good to save many people. You see it there in Genesis chapter 50. Salvation history is a beautiful tapestry in which the divine designer has intentionally woven threads essential to the composition of his ultimate Vision. All that to say, put your family in the hands of God and trust Him with it. One of the worst things that we can do, church family, is that when things get chaotic, we try to pull our family out of His hands and back into ours. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts because His perspective is different than our perspective. But how many, let's, let's, here we go, let's pull the crowd. But how many would admit that's not easy? <laughs> it's not easy to let God have it. It's one thing to come in church and let them sing, uh, this is how I fight my battles. Woo, good song. It's another thing to let something happen to your family or an accusation be put against you or against your children. Or so, and it's one thing to sing about it, to shout about it. It is another thing to live it. Living it is the hardest part. Living it is the most important and critical part. It's not whether you can shout with it, it's whether you can submit to it. 
We got to be careful in the Pentecostal church. I know we love to shout. I love you. To sh- I, I love for us to shout. Preached about it Sunday night, despised but dancing. And we had a good old time. But if you shout for two hours, but then you disqualify it in two minutes. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's right. It's right to make sure that we have surrendered our family to Him. None of those threads are more significant than marriage, family, and the God-centered home. And if you've got your notes there on that dash, you need to underline that, circle it, write your initials by it, write good point, something. Marriage, family, and a God-centered home. Getting married alone will not save you. Okay, I'm going to say this in a way that, that children will be okay to hear it, but you're going to get it, okay? If you have a lust problem, just getting married won't take care of that. If you got wandering eyes, you're going to have wandering eyes after you say, I do. Mm. It's about keeping our bodies under subjection because we're in covenant with Him. Amen? That's what it's about. And so when I look to have a God-centered, a God-centered home, that means my home does not revolve around Netflix. My home does not revolve around primetime shows. My, my home does not, hey, my home does not revolve around the news. My home revolves around news, but it's the good news. See what I did there? You see how I... Wasn't that good, I know. I, I, I got to tell you, this seems so elementary, this one line here, but it might be the most important thing we say. It's all got to come back to, to marriage, family, God-centered home. If you're not married, God-centered home. God-centered home. The biblical family unit is the linchpin of society, regardless of what society wants to say. The moment it is removed, the wheels fall off. It has been proven in the contemporary secular community. Okay? We got to have the family. Somebody say amen. 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 Designers. Designers leave their fingerprints on all their creations. Brush strokes can identify artists. The facets of design can distinguish architects. God is no exception. He is revealed to humans through His handiwork. Paul asserted that God discloses Himself through visible elements, things that have been designed and made, Romans 1. God is a spirit, and as such, His essence is hidden from human sight, while much about Him is revealed through creation and His acts throughout history. God is the Creator. He has chosen the family unit to reveal His relationship with humanity. This divine choice underscores the importance of the apostolic faith in the home. Apostolic faith is absolutely critical in the home. If you need a healing, pray 
at home. And let your family hear you pray at home. Moms, you know this, you've done this for years, but I'm reminding, and maybe any younger marriages are new. If you get a call about a devastating need, let your voice ring through the house. Not yelling, shouting. Dads, you cannot yell for a game and never call on God with a real loud voice in your Your kids will watch if for all of their young and impressionable years you scream over a pigskin on the... I'm not, I'm not getting on to you. I'm, I'm, I understand. You be involved. You have fun. I don't care. I'm just saying if that's the only place in the home that they see... It can't be just one or the other. We're setting that example. None of those threads, or excuse me, I, I jumped back. The family, including marriage, was the first structure and system employed by God for those created in His image. And He intended it to last until the end of time. The people who think they're going to bring an end to marriage have not read the book. Because marriage is directly connected to the church. Oh, yes, it is. The infrastructure of the church. How many know that strong families build strong churches? Because we thank God for the brick and mortar, but we, Brother Sister Turner, we're the church, the body, the people. And we need strong families. We need men that dress like men, women that dress like women, Setting the standard of apostolic lifestyle disciplines clearly marked, setting not only in outward display, but setting the standard in private conversation. It's critical. And this, this institution is going to last until he returns for his church. Marriage and the family have outlasted the eras of patriarchs, the judges, the anointing of Israel as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This structure existed thousands of years before the advent of the church. We observe the truth of this dynamic in Paul's writings. In the context of instruction for husbands, wives, and children, Paul informed the Ephesians that the same principles apply to both the family and the relationship between Christ and the church. Look at this statement here. The church is the contemporary body of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling within its members, advocating and working for it, completing the work that Jesus started during his earthly ministry. You cannot afford to have a home where the Holy Ghost is not present. Now I'm just teaching, but I'm going to stop for a second. You, you've got to have the Holy Ghost in your house. The Spirit of God has got to be in your house. I understand the sacred nature of this place. But if you walk into your home and immediately feel overwhelmed, you need to pray that out of your home. Oh, I feel a word for somebody right now. If when you walk, some of you felt the heaviness right there when I said that. When you walk into the house, you feel overwhelmed. 
That is not the will of God. That's supposed to be a sanctuary, a safe place, a godly residence for your family. It is not the will of God that when you walk into that house, you feel like somebody's got weights hanging over your shoulders and the darkness and the... It's not the will of God. You ought to be able to walk into your house and feel the presence of the Holy Ghost and know that this is a place where prayer happens. This is a place where unity occurs. This is a safe, a safe place. Praise God. The birth of the church at Pentecost did not diminish the role or the need for the family. The family reaps the benefit of the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of the body as it strives to accomplish its divinely ordained purpose. God employs the family and the home as a training ground, training and preparing us to fulfill our divine purpose. That's why I always ask young men that want to preach, young women that want to speak, I always ask them, what Bible studies are you teaching? Who have you taught a Bible study to recently? Who are you reaching for? What's happening? And the same thing would be for an adult here today. We need to make sure that our homes, our homes are a part of the ministry as well. We should not come together here at Calvary Tabernacle to pray through things that we've allowed in our homes. Because as soon as this hour, hour and 30 minutes is up, we're going to go right back into that place. You're only here a few hours a week. You're there. Man, I, I just, I can't get past this. Throw your hands towards heaven, if you will. And I want you to begin to pray with me. I'm going to pray and you can pray too. God, bless my home. I'm asking you, let the Holy Ghost be in my home. Cleanse. Help my mind to be pure, my heart, my thoughts, my intents, oh God. Let my home be pure. Let the things we do there, the things we engage in, let them be righteous and holy. Help us to set no evil thing before our eyes. Help us to guard what things we allow to be played in our home that are in our ears. Help us. Help us. Help us. Send the Holy Ghost in our homes. I pray that somebody would go home tonight and feel a, a fresh power of the Holy Ghost and peace and joy in their home. Praise God. It's in the apostolic home that parents and students and children learn to fulfill the high calling of being the bride of Christ. Families are called to discover and share the love of Christ to experience a healthy display of authority and mutual submission and to develop an understanding of their role in the kingdom. That's, the, that's one of the tough, you know, this is the professional aspect of this chapter, but that's a very practical portion to take note of right there. That they are actually learning how to be submitted one to another with brotherly affection, kindly affection one to another. How many know that's critical? They're learning that example in the home. And how many know when you got kids, those kids can fight? You don't have to teach them how to do that argue about stuff, get on each other's nerves. I'll tell you whose nerves they're getting on. <laughs> Arguing with each other. But we can't just allow that to go on. There's got to be consequence. From a very practical standpoint, if you have to warn them five times, they're going to know they got five times to get away with it. If I get to three, if I get to five, don't let me get to seven. 
I get to 10, it's over. You know what they think? No, it's not. Because it started with three. Got to five. I done skated into seven. I'm going to do the backstroke into 10. All right. Development does not occur in a vacuum. It's strengthened through a reciprocal relationship with a local church as both the church and the family embrace the mission of discipleship. And this is going to seem self-serving since I'm the pastor, but it's just true and we need to know it. That the family dynamic at home needs to be in unity with the church family dynamic here. Needs to be in unity. There should not be, a, there should not be an undermining of principles taught. I promise to do my very best to preach things that I think will guard your mind and your soul and your heart and your family. And I'm going to tell you, I have and I will again and again make mistakes. You know why? Because I'm human just like you are. But at the end of the day, it does not matter who is in this spot. If you undermine spiritual authority, you are setting them up for failure. You are. Setting them up for failure. I don't believe that we put people or men onto a pedestals where we carry them around on some golden throne. I don't believe in that any more than you do. But I do believe in the biblical dynamics of spiritual covering. I do believe in having a watchman on the wall. I can remember growing up in my house, we went through a very tough time in our church. I'm telling you, it was a tough time as a child. But I cannot tell you one time that I heard my parents ever talk negative about the pastor. A big part of why I'm in the ministry today is because of the way my parents loved the ministers. My dad was not a preacher. My dad was a welder. But I tell you what he was, faithful. They were faithful. They loved. And that's what we have to do. Why? Because we're guarding not just the man of God. We're not guarding just the church or the youth pastor or the Sunday school or the dynamics or just the music. That's not what we're guarding. We're guarding their perception of leadership as a whole. And listen, children that are raised to not honor authority in their life they themselves typically end up becoming leaders that others do not respect. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. A breakdown in the home leads to a breakdown in the church. Apostolic faith in the home builds strong and apostolic, healthy apostolic churches. Holistic learning environment. We'll wrap with this. The home is the first place of holistic instruction, introducing new lives to an understanding of the physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual. This is why the command to honor father and mother is critical. A society in which children honor their parents will survive. By honoring parents, children learn there is a moral authority to whom they are accountable. Now, you know, I had fun with it last week where I was talking about they're not your baby anymore. I got so many texts and calls and people running into me laughing, saying thanks. That's where the rubber meets the road. I had a couple of moms that were not real excited, but they knew it was true. <laughs> but I will tell you that we have to guard this, this command that our children are to honor father and mother. There's a reason it's number five in the Big Ten. 
Those commandments are critical for us. Coming right after keeping Sabbath is to honor thy father and thy mother. We need that honor in the homes. And since I'm talking mainly to parents, I'm going to tell you, with that in mind, we should live honorable to be honored. Is that okay? Is that too strong of a statement or does that make sense? If I want to be honored, I need to try to live honorable. The 21st century reveals the devastation that results when children are raised outside of godly homes. And are not we watching that everywhere right now? It's challenging for children to learn to honor God and human authorities without having godly authority in the home. A godly home will train children, suitably preparing them for every facet of life and teaching them personal responsibility in both the community and the kingdom. My oldest son had a fun conversation the other day because he was driving my truck. That's scary enough. I asked him if he was putting gas in. Felt like a normal question. He, uh, he did not believe it needed gas. Because he knew how many miles there were when that light came on. How many men in here you cannot stand it when the car gets so low that the light comes on? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Just bear witness. That's how I feel. I just want to make sure I wasn't alone. Now him running running out of gas or running low on gas in the grand scheme of things is not a big deal. But me teaching him that if the, ga- if the truck is getting low on gas and you're the one using it, it's your responsibility to get some gas in it without just coming to me and asking me for some money. If you got money to play, you got money to pay. Hey, hey, hey. That's what I say. <laughs> we had a great talk the other day about a job. He says, what? J-O-B. I believe in it. I believe you got to be disciplined. Now, I'm not picking on him. He's got a great temperament. I, won't, I don't use my kids much, hopefully, as illustration. No, I won't be too specific, but I will tell you this. If he was sitting in here, he'd amen with me. We had a good talk about it. I, I cannot expect him to be a man but not teach him how to get there. Can I just, I'm going to pause. I know I've got to stop. Yeah, i to stop. But I'm going to pause here. Quit being scared to have the conversations you need to have. They should, not, they should not get their education on certain topics outside of the home. If you leave it to a locker room conversation, they're going to get a convoluted, perverted idealism of what they're supposed to do because it was too intimidating. And I recognize maybe your mom or maybe your dad, moms and dads, maybe your parents didn't talk to you, but the game has changed. You got to talk about it. You got to talk about it. Just don't do it. Why? Because I said so. That's enough. I wish that worked. It doesn't. And you don't have to call somebody from the ministry team to find it in the Bible. (laughs) 
Where? I always want to say, did you look for it at all? Just at all? Did you consult Dr. Google, even for a minute? You can do it, but have the conversation because it matters. Be less concerned about hurting their feelings and more concerned about losing their soul. Too often, discussions surrounding the home focus on the training and development of children, but not the training and the development of parents. Ooh. Ooh. We want them, okay, I'm, I'm closing anyway. Man, I feel like I'm about to crash this plane. If they don't do their studies, if they don't read their texts, if they don't get their homework done, especially if you're praying, paying for them, praying is right too, and paying for them to be at a special school, and you find out they didn't do their work, how frustrated are you? Oh, oh. And here's my question to the parents in the room. When's the last time you read a book on parenting? Oh, that didn't go over good, but it was, it was a way better point than the response. You know, there's a lot of new studies. There's a lot of practical things we can do to be good at what we're doing. I just read the Bible. It's all I read. Well, that's fine. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. But make sure that you're continually growing. Make sure that you're continually growing. Stand with me. Apostolic faith in the home is vital. It's vital for the development of parents as for the development of children. I do not expect that we, to have strong families, should have our children watch us be reckless. But I do think we should have them watch us institute faith. 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 I, I think it's acceptable for you to sit your children down and talk to them about how much money you give to missions. Otherwise, how do we expect them to ever make it a part of their prioritized life? I think it's good for us in practical training to cultivate them in such a manner. Each relationship dynamic, marriage, parent-child, grandparent and child, it grows the participants to full maturity as a reflection of the God who created them and calls them to imitate, to imitate Christ. Family members assist in the developing, developing of the fruit of the Spirit in one another. Long-suffering. Gentleness, meekness. We develop it. We give you these practical things and I'll let you go tonight. Infancy. Infancy, this is the trust me stage. Okay? You're, you're teaching them to trust with your care, with your attention. As they become toddlers, it's that watch me stage. You watch. They're watching how daddy picks up the spoon. They're watching how mommy, how mommy eats. They're watching how mommy, how mommy does her hair and, and toddler. They can't even hardly hold the brush, but they're, they're just, they're, it's the watch me stage. Early and middle childhood years, hear me, follow me. This is where we're teaching them, listen clearly. Listen, what did I say to do? What did I say? I did not tell you to throw Cheerios at your brother. What I say to do? What I say? No, no, put the juice down. 
Put the, ju- put the juice down. Put, put the juice down. Down. On the table. Down. How many have had these conversations, right? How do you not know? Put, put the juice on the table. Sorry, give me a minute. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. It's training. It's t- adolescent and teen years. What are we doing? Watch this. We missed this one. Walk beside me. I'm out of time, I know it, but you listen, please. Please. The walk beside me role is critical. Not walk behind me. Walk beside me. Because I don't know how your face looks from behind you. I don't know the expression. I don't know how you're actually reacting. I have to watch everything from the rear view. I can't, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. I need you to walk beside me in your adolescent years. I need you to watch. I need you to watch how I do things. I need you to watch how I give. In the adolescent years, years all this is coming together. It's all coming to fruition. And so listen, pray with them. Pray together. One of my greatest, one of my greatest hopes is that we can get back to a place where it is not awkward for families to pray together in the home. Pray together. Do not let society teach us it's weird. That's a part of where we walk together. I know you got to work long hours, guys, but if you can, shoot hoops with them. Even if you're terrible. Because at the end of the day, they don't want you to be good. They just want you to be there. Moms, they don't want your expertise. Honestly, they're not even interested in your experience. They're just interested, are you there? Are you there? I've taught this in youth ministry for a long time. I care is always better than I'm cool. I care is always better than I'm cool. I promise you trying to dress like you're a part of their generation is not cool to them. I promise, I promise, I'm not just helping them, I'm helping you. If by chance you look in the mirror and you don't know that you have aged out of this look, phone a friend, (laughs) FaceTime somebody that can tell you, "Uh uh-uh, no. We've got to have godly families. But if we're going to have godly families, we've got to have godly homes. We receive the word by lifting your hands and calling on the name of the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together. Walking through what I believe is a very important topic. We're going to be so saturated in it this month, but I think it's important. I'm asking you to touch our minds, help us to think right. Touch our hearts, help us to live right. Help us to act out what we know to be pure, what we know to be true, what we know to be just. Help us not only to think on it, help us to live it out. Help it to be in our homes. Let it be in our actions. In the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.